biblical values. And so make sure you know what, where the candidates stand on certain issues as it pertains to the Word of God or where the Word of God speaks to those issues, which is almost all of them typically. Um, but I want you to make sure you vote. And uh, we do have cards in the back and you can scan them and it has all that information. So if you need one of those cards on your way out, it just gives you information about the candidates, et cetera. But make sure you pray and make sure you vote, okay? Are you with me on that? All right, today I'm excited to begin a new series of messages, uh, and we call this series Relationship Myths, Relationship Myths. And so we're going to talk about, for the next few uh, weeks together, we're going to talk about relationships. And I love to do this about this time of year uh, because we're, we're headed into the holiday season. And the holiday season can be stressful, and the holiday season uh, can be interesting because we're around people. And um, yes, and uh, you know, sometimes in <laughs> in every family, there's that there's that person. And if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, your family thinks you're that person. And uh, it's that person that requires maybe some grace, maybe some prayer. But we're going to talk about relationship uh, myths today, and I'm excited uh, to dive into this message. So let's pray, and then I'm going to give you the relationship myth for the day, and then we're going to break it down together. Father, thank you for this time to gather in your house, in your presence. God, just th that you're here, let us never take that for granted. God, you're also the author of relationships, meaning you're the authority of how they work. And so, God, we turn to you for one of the most probably difficult situations. One of the things we're all going to face is relationships and navigating relationships and the grace that's required and, 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 God, what we need to know. And so, God, we look to you for that, not to culture. So, Holy Spirit, speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. So I wanted to start today on, on this relationship myths series by giving you what I think is the biggest myth in relationships. Um, now, let me explain where I'm coming from, um, because maybe you should know this. If, if you uh, have ever been in love, I can identify. If you have ever dated someone, I can identify. Uh, if you have ever been married, I can identify. If you've ever been divorced, I can identify. If you've ever been engaged again, I can identify. Okay, so, so just so we're all on the same playing field, if you've been there, so have I, right? And I don't know that that means a whole lot except that you and I can identify in that I know where you're at. Let me also say I have a wonderful counselor. It's the same counselor that I've had for about five years I meet with him still usually two or three times a month. He's a phenomenal man. And according to him, he said this one day, he said, he said, Marty, at this point in your life, you could have an honorary master's degree in psychology because of all that we've talked about and all that you've read and studied, et cetera. And so um, anyways, just to say, I could bring him up here today. He's not here, but I, I could have him talk to you. But he would tell you that I'm not crazy and uh, that I've also learned some things along the way. Maybe they could help. They definitely have helped me. Maybe they could help you. And so uh, as we dive in this together, let me just say, if you're there, I've been there right? Does that make sense? If you're there, I've been there. Um, and so I want to talk about today, I don't know that I've ever really read what I'm going to call the biggest myth, but I've articulated it. And that is this. I think the biggest myth in relationships is that we have an expectation that our relationships can be healthier than we are. I think that is, to me, the biggest myth. Remember, I've been a pastor for about 20 years. I've counseled with a lot of people. I'm not a great counselor. I wish that I, I were. I'm more of a coach, right? A counselor wants to sit down and, and they let you talk. I, I'm more of a coach. I want you to tell me what the problem is, and I want to give you one thing to work on, and then we're good, right? Um, I, it's just how I'm wired. But, but in listening to relationships and talking with people over the years, even in my own experience, I would say, 
say the number one myth in relationships is we tend to have an expectation that our relationships can be healthier than we are. To say it another way, we don't expect our own personal, emotional, spiritual, even sometimes physical health to impact our relationships. Um, there's an old phrase, I guess, that's been out uh, or, or stated as long as there's been apples, right? You've probably heard the phrase, one rotten apple will spoil the whole barrel. Does that make sense? How many have heard that phrase before? Ben Franklin in, in Poor Richard's Almanac, he said it this way, the rotten apple spoils its companion, the rotten apple. So, so, so for me, applying this to relationships, what I've seen time and time and time again is we fail to recognize how our own issues impact our relationships. And we have an expectation that everyone else can navigate around our issues and that our, our relationships um, can be healthier than our issues. And what I've found is your relationships can't be healthier than you. Now, let me go ahead and say something that someone's thinking right now because they're thinking, wait a second, I could be very healthy, but if I'm in a relationship with someone who's unhealthy, it's going to be rotten. And what I would say is, remember, you picked them. I think I can say this without a lot of criticism, but if you've gone through a divorce, before you get in another relationship, let me help you. Go figure out what was your part in the divorce. And you say, well, they had an affair. Okay, what was your part? And they were abusive. Well, what was your part? They abandoned me. What was your part? Because you were there, right? And it's so easy to say it was all them. But remember, you picked them. I think here's another, let me give you another myth because this one goes along with this one. And here is the myth. The myth is the best parts of me are attracted to the best parts of them. Let me give you the truth. <laughs> typically, <laughs> typically it is the worst parts of me that is attracted to the worst parts of them. Listen, you can't, well, they're always so manipulative. Well, you can't have a manipulative person without a, you can't have one, someone who's a manipulator without someone who can be manipulated. You can't have someone who's controlling without someone who's willing to be controlled. You can't have a victim, Right? without someone who wants to rescue them. And it was very romantic rescuing them and fixing their flat tire in the rain when you were dating, but now you've been married 20 years and every day they have a crisis you have to fix and they're unable to regulate their own emotion and solve their own problems at all and you're kind of tired of rescuing them. Another thing is a victim always has to be a victim and so when you're not rescuing them, you're the, you're the persecutor. So you get to go from good to bad all the time because they remain the victim no matter what but you picked them. I like the nervous laughter that I hear. <laughs> that, that to me is, is the most fun. It's like, <laughs> but it's, it's the truth. And so many times, if we're not careful, we don't deal with our issues. Our issues find someone else with issues. Most of the time, when I have sat down with a couple who, who are having what I would call marital issues, uh, or one of our other pastors, typically they're not, there are marital issues, don't get me wrong, but many times the issues they're having were single issues that got married. Many times it's that way. Not all the time, many times. There are skills you have to learn to be married, but, but many times... It's just these were single people issues and they got married. And now they're marriage issues. Because we all came, we all came into the um, into the relationship with baggage. And now we're wanting someone else to carry it for us. And so um, is this too real? And so um, 
So you need to understand healthy relationships start with you. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 12, 25, or 35. Matthew 12, 12, 35 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth bad things. Here's what he's saying. is what's going on inside of me greatly determines what's going on around me. Whatever's going on inside of me greatly determines what's going on around me. Um, and, and this is what I would say. This is where we have to explore this option or this idea that maybe it's not everybody else. Like lovingly and humbly, let me submit to you, it is possible it is not your spouse's problem that you're running into. It is just their reaction to your issue. It, it is it's possible. It's possible. Because people say, it's the same. Every relationship I've ever been in is the same. <laughs> Could we explore that for a minute? Because you're the only one that's been in all of them. Well, I'm not happy. Okay, can I, this is another myth. God created relationships to make us happy. That's a myth. I'm not saying that you can't be happy in relationships. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can't. My parents have been married like 800 years. They're the happiest people I know. Like they are just so happy. And, you know, and they would tell you their marriage hadn't been perfect. They would tell you both of them have had issues over the years. But I'm just telling you, they're happy as happy can be to this day. Happy as happy can be. They'll probably be here in the 11 o'clock. Happy as they'll probably they color coordinate their clothes a lot of times coming to church. I am straight up serious. And my dad's the one that does it. He'll wait for my mom to get dressed. And then he, if she wears yellow, he'll go put on a yellow shirt. Happy as happy can be. I'm not saying you can't be happy in relation, hashtag relationship goals, right? Happy in relationships. I'm just saying relationships weren't really designed to make you happy. They were really designed to make you holy. Someone asked me, how do, how do you know when you're ready to get married? Here's the answer. When you find someone that you want to give to the rest of your life, not take from the rest of your life. When you find somebody you want, I want to give to them the rest of my life, then you know that's probably the person. Um, so every, so here's what we need to understand. So what would we just say? We said, you know what? What's going on inside of me determines what's happening around me. Let me say it another way. Uh, my issues affect the issues in my relationship. Now, here's another truth. You may want to write this down. We're going to get to the points. The points are not going to take as long, but write this down. Um, everyone has issues, Right? And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't have issues, first of all, that's your biggest issue. <laughs> Second of all, if you're married, ask your spouse. They have a list they've been waiting for you to ask about. <laughs> all God's children got issues, everybody. We all have issues. And, and here's why. Here's why. Because no one escaped the fall. No one escaped the fall. Let me read you a verse. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to everyone or all men because all sin. Let me say it another way. No one escaped the fall. Let me say it one more way. You have issues. You might want to just write that down and highlight it. It could be the greatest thing for you today. Just write down, I have issues. I have issues, right? <laughs> I have issues, right? Um, some of the greatest conversations, um, many of you know Jana. Jana and I are engaged. Uh, she's not here today. She's in Houston. So if you're looking for her, she's not here today. Um, but some of the greatest and most rich conversations that we had, especially early on, um, were I, I, I've, very early on, I said, I want to tell you about my issues because I know what they are. You know, th there's a bigger problem when you don't know what they are, right? But when you know what they are, they're still there, but you're working on them because you can't fix it till you can name it. 
And so I would say, you know, here's an issue I have, you know, <laughs> and she'd say, you know, here's an issue I have. And we call this being self-aware or emotionally intelligent, right? So just because you deny your issues don't mean it's not there. It just means you're not dealing with them, which means everyone around you has to. Amen. So you say, well, how do we find our issues? Let me help you. Patterns. You look for your patterns. This is how you find your issues. Um, I, let me read you a, a, a couple of verses. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern. Everybody say pattern. Do not be conformed to the pattern. I understand Romans 12 is not technically a relationship, a relationship scripture, but I'm going to apply it because Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern that is of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to a pattern. 1 Peter 1.14, this word pattern in the Greek is also used in 1 Peter, the same exact word. And Peter says this, 1 Peter 1.14 says, so you must live as God's obedient children and do not slip back into, you could say, the pattern of the way you used to live to satisfy your desires when you didn't know any better. In other words, here's what Paul says. There's a pattern of the world's behavior. And here's what Peter says. Don't slip back into the pattern of the world. Let, let me tell you the truth of the gospel, and this, this might be helpful, even if you're not in a relationship today, this would be helpful. Um, according to the Bible, if you are born again, your behavior changes. I know this seems like, are you seriously? Yeah, like totally, totally serious. That our relationship with Jesus changes our behavior. It, according to Paul, it changes our patterns. Are you with me, right? Um, a few weeks ago, it was my birthday, so Jana took me to a, a restaurant, a nice restaurant for dinner. And uh, we both like watching people. Does anybody else like watching people? To me, this is the most amusing thing in the world. Like, I love watching people. And this relationship, this, not relationship, this restaurant was very crowded. And we were enjoying waiting on our table. We had a reservation, still had to wait. And we were enjoying waiting on our table, waiting for a reservation. And, and then Janice said, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the restroom. And she came back and she's kind of smiling and, you know, halfway laughing. I said, what happened? She said, you missed it. <laughs> and I was like, you got to tell me. And she's like, there was this couple in the front of the restaurant and they got into it in front of everybody. And they're yelling at each other in front of everybody to the point that the security officer, now, first of all, let me just say, this was a nice restaurant. This, this was not, nothing against Applebee's, but this was not Applebee's, okay? We weren't fancy like Applebee's on this night. We were a different kind of restaurant. And she said to the point that a security officer had to come up and say, okay, let's take this outside. Okay, we're going to finish this conversation outside. And here's, here's my thought in this is, I hope those were not Christian people. Because that pattern of relationship should not be for two Christian people. Because we should have the ability to control our emotions and our words and talk about it later. I'm not saying don't talk about it. I'm saying yelling at your wife in a restaurant is probably not helping your marriage. <laughs> and so here's the reality is my relationship with God, look at this though, my relationship with God will impact my behavioral patterns. And I think you could apply that to relationships very clearly. Even though I understand it may not be Paul's original idea there. So I'm not trying to, change the Bible, hear me. But I think there's an application there. Um, I think most of the time when we're getting ready to enter into a relationship, we look at our potential, but we don't look for our patterns. By the way, time out. If you're single, let me help you. When you're looking for something, do not date potential, date patterns. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation. Usually it's with a young Christian woman and she's like, he's just amazing. Pastor, he has so much potential. Yes, but he's verbally abusive. But I know, but if he just came to the Lord, 
He's been arrested 15 times. <laughs> Let's look at the patterns, right? So how do I know who to date? Don't look for potential. We're the worst. We, we get into a relationship. We say, well, here's my potential. And we don't look at our own patterns. But we get into a relationship with someone thinking, oh, they, can, they could be a great spouse. I'm not asking you if you think they could be a great spouse. I'm asking you, what do their patterns look like today? Are you with me? Right? So don't date potential, date patterns. And then, and then in your own life, when you're trying to, to, to have healthy relationships, what, what we do so many times, we judge ourselves based on, based on our potential. Like, you know, I can be a really good guy. Yes, you can be a really good guy, but sometimes you're a really big stinker. Like, I can be a great cook. Yes, you could be a great cook, but the smoke alarm is not actually the device that tells you when dinner's done. <laughs> it's not actually what that device is for. That tells you call the fire department, actually. You know, that's what. And so we look at our patterns like, why am I always angry? Why am I always the victim? Why does everyone reject me? Why does everyone mistreat me? Right? Let's look at our patterns. So here's what we're talking about. Healthy relationships require me to be healthy, right? And if I'm going to be healthy, I've got to, I've got to find my patterns or I've got to find my issues, Relationships, healthy relationships mean I have to be healthy. If I'm going to be healthy, I have to find my issues. To find my issues, I need to look at my patterns. Here's three places to look for patterns. Are you ready for this? Three places to look for patterns. We'll work through this together. And yes, I do understand these overlap, but I want to kind of give you three places to look when you're talking about your patterns. Number one is evaluate your behaviors. You have, we have behavioral patterns. We do. And this is why you get upset when somebody breaks one of your patterns. You know, it's like, I like to come home. I like to have this. I like to do this. I like to sit down. I like to watch the news. And now somebody's upset my pattern, right? So we have, we have behave, behavioral patterns. We have relational patterns. That's why when someone says, this, this boyfriend or this girlfriend is just like the other one. It's, it's because probably the same thing that was wrong and your issue was attracted. What your issue did, it just found someone with, a diff, with, with the kind of like the negative and the positive. Your issue was attracted to the same issue it was attracted to every other time, right? And so, yeah, they have a different name, but they're the same person, right? And so we have, we have relational patterns. And, and let me tell you, when you're looking for relational patterns, I could talk a lot about just relational patterns, but here's what I want to drill down to. is what I really want you to understand is uh, trauma creates triggers. Um, trauma creates triggers. Now, most people understand triggers are those stimuli. They're things that happen usually in the context of relationship, but it could be anything, but we're going to talk about relationships. So I should say usually there are things that happen that trigger. So for instance, if you're a war veteran, right? And you had PTSD from being shelled, right? And someone just randomly starts shooting off fireworks, you're going to be triggered, Right? Does that make sense? I know that's kind of an extreme, but the same thing happens when we go through, listen, our trauma creates our triggers most of the time. Our trauma creates our triggers. And you'll be in a relationship and someone will say something and it was very benign and all of a sudden you're angry, upset, hurt, rejected, feeling abandoned. And, and the question is, well, why did, why did what they do, which was really very benign, create this type of reaction in you? Well, they hit a trigger, but they didn't know the trigger was there right? They didn't know the trigger was there. Listen, you need to find your trip wires before your spouse does, right? You need to find your triggers before, before they do. And so um, our triggers, really, if we pay attention to our triggers, they, they point back to our trauma. Here, here's what we need to understand, that um, <laughs> our, our trauma, and by that I mean past events, that were difficult, painful, hurtful, traumatizing to us that we may have experienced before we were married or in a relationship with the person we're married or in a relationship with, just because they weren't there when it happened doesn't mean what happens not affecting your relationship with them. Because trauma that's not dealt with will deal with you. 
And because relationships, especially if you're talking about engagement, marriage, because of the level of intimacy that you're going to desire in that relationship or that should exist in that relationship, it will trudge up things that you thought were buried, that were gone. And one of the things relationships will do is they'll dig up your trauma in a hurry because they'll hit the trigger. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? And so when I'm talking about how, how do I get healthy, well, here's how I get healthy. I've got to deal with the trauma because if I don't deal with the trauma, it's going to, it's going to keep getting triggered and I'm going to keep reacting Right? I, I, I used to have this talk when couples were getting married, <clears throat> and I would give this analogy. I'd say, you, you guys need to understand you're coming in this relationship, but you're coming in with different experiences and different pasts. And some of that you may know about each other, but you don't know the impact of all of it. Right? You may know that her, her parents were divorced, or her dad was an alcoholic, or he, you may know that his you know, situation was this, etc. But what was the impact on the soul of that? In other words, how did she learn to survive in that environment? And how did you learn to survive in your environment? And then you put those people together that learn survival skills in two different environments. Are you with me? Let me exaggerate the point. So if, if you're a soldier and you're in Afghanistan, the way you survive is you assume everyone's trying to kill you. So you're kicking in doors with all of your battle armor on and your automatic weapon, right? And you're kicking them in, assuming someone in there is trying to harm you. And this is how you survive. And if you do that successfully, you'll survive over there and you'll come back here. But if you this morning got dressed up in your armor and started kicking in the doors of your neighbor's houses with an automatic weapon, you'd be on the news for all the wrong reasons, Right? Because maybe you had an environment where we just don't talk about anything. Or maybe you had an environment where we get really emotional and we blow up and we yell at everybody and then we're fine. What was the environment you learned to survive in? What created the triggers? And now we're in a relationship together. And so when they get quiet, you blow up. Or when they blow up, you get quiet. Because we're, we're from two different environments, two different sets of experiences, two different sets of triggers. And now we're, now we're confined to close living quarters. Luke 4.18, Jesus says that one of the reasons the Messiah came, he gives seven signs of Messiah. One of the reasons the Messiah came is quoting from Isaiah 61, but he says he came to set at liberty the bruise. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is from Luke chapter four. Um, but verse 18 ends with, and he came to set at liberty the bruise. What is a bruise? A bruise is a trauma to your skin. It means there was a trauma it was struck, it was hit, blood vessels burst under the skin, and we get a bruise. It was a trauma. So what is Jesus telling us? Think about it. He came to set at liberty the bruised. What is he saying? A trauma can put you in bondage. And if you're in bondage, so your relationships will be in bondage as well. You can't have free relationships with people that are in bondage. Right? Right? So what, what are traumas? Well, I, I always talk about it this way. There are big T traumas and little T traumas. Okay, let me give you a list real quick. Big T traumas, abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual. That's a big T trauma. Neglect, abandonment, rejection, betrayal, prejudice, uh, near-death experiences, traumatic accidents, or witnessing traumatic accidents. All those things can be very impactful to our souls and be very traumatizing, right? What are little t traumas? Well, like being bullied, having people call you names. Uh, maybe you were left or, or forgotten at school by a parent who was supposed to pick you up and they loved you, but they forgot you this one time. It, 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 it was a little, it, it just, it was traumatizing because you didn't know what was going on and you got left at school and it's getting dark or whatever the case may be. There are little things like that that are traumatizing and there are big things, but all of them can impact our soul in a way that can give us triggers. Um, and what we have to understand is, you know, maybe I was left at school, you know, but, but now when my spouse 
forgot me, you know, or something. All this came up again. I understand it's a simple example, but those are things that could happen. Are, are you with me? I, I felt I felt I was rejected and I have a rejection wound. And now I text him and he didn't text back right away. And I called him and he didn't answer and he's rejecting me and I'm all upset. And, and it's because he doesn't love me and he doesn't care about me and he rejects me. No, he dropped his phone in the water. That's what happened. His phone's dead. It has nothing to do with your emotional state and how you feel. But it got triggered, right? And, and he shows up, and before he can even talk about the fact that his phone is dead, you've explained some things to him aggressively. <laughs> See, the impact of trauma... Is, is trauma carries with it a message. That's how the enemy of your soul works. You need to understand, your trauma has carried with it a message. Um, every trauma comes with a message. Uh, you know, it's not just that you were rejected. You're rejected because you're not, or you are, right? You're a bad person, or you're not enough, or you're not good enough, or... There's something wrong with you. Every trauma that we go through in life, listen to me very carefully, all of it has a message. And the message gets encoded on my soul. And what we have to understand is most of the time this is the work of the enemy. You've heard me say this before, but if Satan can label you, he can limit you. And he doesn't want you to be the son or daughter of God that you were created and designed to be. And so he loves, the, Jesus said he's the father of lies. So he is the origin of lies. And so here's what we need to understand. When I go through trauma, usually he's first on the scene. And he's first on the scene to tell me what that trauma meant. Right? Because if the truth sets us free, this is what Jesus said, John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If the truth sets us free, what does a lie do? So if I want God's kids in bondage, I'm on the scene immediately when there's a trauma to tell them a lie about them. Most of the time, the trauma we endure has nothing to do with us at all. It has to do with someone else. Usually the trauma we endure is not because there was something wrong with us. There was something wrong with someone else. But we will believe it had something to do with us. And we'll spend the rest of our life overcompensating We'll spend the rest of our life trying to get away from or blaming someone or we'll spend the rest of our life living out whatever that lie was, whatever that message was, and we'll live it out in the context of life and we'll live it out in the context of relationships. And another thing that we'll do is when there's trauma, there's abuse, whatever the case may be, we'll lower our expectations. Well, I just can't really expect to meet a nice person. I can't expect to have a good person. I can't expect to have a good relationship. We'll lower our expectations because we'll say, well, I'm too damaged, I'm too broken, I'm not good enough, right? Listen to me, um, this is it's what the enemy does. It's absolutely um, what the enemy does. So, so there are ways that we deal with trauma. And what are the ways we deal with trauma? Well, denial, it just didn't happen, right? And that will work until someone hits the trigger, Emotional isolation, we just shut down, right? Like, listen, this is one of the, the greatest, one of the most difficult things in relationships, being with someone that just shuts you out and shuts down and, they, and you never know why, right? Um, like stonewalling. Stonewalling is one of the predictors of divorce when someone constantly just shuts down, walls themselves off completely and will not engage. You could call it the silent treatment. It's called stonewalling in a counselor's office. Um, rationalization, so emotional isolation, denial, emotional isolation, rationalization, blame, or even this self-blame, self-blame. Um, or we lie to ourselves, like it really wasn't that bad. They didn't really mean it. They were a good person. Well, they may be a good person, but if they hurt you, they hurt you, Right? Here's what we need to understand about trauma is that everyone has trauma. Um, 
And, and if I could tell you two things here, just you might want to write these down. And I know it's a lot of information. I'm having to go pretty fast. But I want you to write this down. Number one, what I want you to write down is your identity comes from Jesus, not what was done to you. Trauma will seek to give you an identity. Right? Um, but your identity comes from Jesus. The second thing, and I'd write this down, never lower your expectation to the level of your trauma. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. The Bible says, this is God talking, just in the book of Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. And before I, I put you in the womb, or, you know, before I formed you in the womb, so, so, before you were formed, I knew you. Before you were made in the womb, I appointed you with purpose. Okay, I'm generalizing it. But I want you to understand, this is what God says. But before you were ever in a womb, I knew you. And when you were in the womb, I made you. And here's what I want you to understand. I made you for a purpose. And trauma doesn't get to derail the purpose I made you for. So don't lower your expectation to the, to the level of your trauma. So what do we do about trauma? Well, we, we understand that trauma has to be dealt with. Trauma has to be dealt with. There's this, I may need to go talk to a counselor or a pastor. I may, I, may, I may need more than one trip to see a good Christian counselor if I'm working through something. Because I, I want to deal with it because if I don't deal with it, it will deal with all my relationships. Um. But the biggest thing that you, can under, that you can understand is knowing that Jesus came not only to save your soul, but Jesus came to make you whole. He said he came to set at liberty the bruise. He also said, Isaiah 61, it can be phrased this way, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. Broken means smashed into pieces. Hearted means your inner self or inner being. Here's what Jesus came to do. He came to fix what's broken on the inside. Why? Because what's going on on the inside determines what's going on on the outside. Right? So I need to look for my behavior. Here's the second thing. I need to assess my emotions or assess your emotions. Here's the second place to look when we're looking for patterns. Assess your emotions. Uh, one of my, can I just, let me just be honest for a minute. Because I've been on social media, et cetera. Here is the greatest concern I have about our current culture. We way overvalue our feelings to the point that we just can't hardly live if someone disagrees with how we feel. In fact, that's hate. No, let me tell you what it is. It's a different opinion, buttercup. That's what it is. I'm sorry, but I've wanted to say that a long time, and it just seemed like a good place for it. But we, I mean, think about it. We, we are identifying ourselves by our emotions, by our feelings, and we are living by our emotions, and we are living by our feelings. And this was not the way we were created to live. Listen, here's what you need to understand about your emotions and feelings, all right? Write this down. It will probably save your life. Your feelings do not tell you the truth. They don't tell you the truth, right? I, I, could, I could take you, sit you down and say, let me ask you a question. I've had people sit in front of me and say, I don't feel saved. And I'll say, do you believe Jesus Christ is the son of God? Yes. Have you confessed that you are a sinner in need of salvation and a savior? And have you asked him to be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sin? Have you committed yourself to live with him? Yes. Then you're saved. I don't care how you feel. I mean, I do, but I'm just saying. <laughs> right? Your feelings do not tell you the truth. They just tell you something's going on with you. Your, your feelings don't tell you the truth. Your feelings only tell you the truth about how you feel. And, and there's, there's a need there. I mean, God created us with emotions and God created us with feelings and feelings tell me I may need to look at things. I may need to evaluate things, but I don't live by my feelings. Let me give you a verse. 
Psalm 4, 4 says, be angry. Would we all agree that's an emotion? Usually it's a secondary emotion, but anger is the easiest motion, emotion to achieve. So usually that's why I may be offended, but I'm angry. I may feel rejected, but I'm angry. My feelings may be hurt, but I'm angry, right? Because anger is the easiest place to get to emotionally, right? That's why everybody gets mad about stuff. You're not really mad. You're offended. Your, your feelings are hurt. You got to drill past anger. It's secondary, okay? But, but, but because that in some ways is all encompassing, even Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Look, the same thing, Psalm 4.4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. This is great relational advice. Isn't this the greatest verse? Like this should be your memory verse today. <laughs> be angry and do not sin. It is possible to be angry and not throw the chair. <laughs> or the knife. <laughs> be angry and do not sin, right? Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Do not let your emotions control you. If you let your emotions control you, you're going to say something you're going to need to apologize for later. If you let your emotions control you, you will make it worse. Right? So you don't have to, in fact, let me give you another verse. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Meaning this, you will be plundered by the enemy if you can't control yourself. If you can't control your mind, if you can't control your emotions. So, so here's what he say: Don't let your feelings, don't let your emotions, don't, be angry and don't sin. Don't let your emotions control you. And this is this, ponder in your own hearts on your beds. In other words, go think about how you feel. Be, oh, this is so good. Before... You make your feelings their problem, make them your problem. That was worth the price of admission today, I feel like, right there. It's not in my notes. That's the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm just as shocked at you at how good that was. But before, before you make how you feel their problem, go sit down on your bed and think about it. Right? Um, <laughs> you know, it's okay in, in, in this world to not react out of emotion, but to go, to go sit down and think about your emotions. In fact, it's healthy. It's called emotional intelligence. Or you could say emotional self-regulation. Emotional self-regulation means that I'm a mature, functioning adult, and I have the capacity to regulate my own emotion and not react and act out of emotion, but I have the capacity to sit down and think, boy, I'm mad. Why am I mad? Like, um, this is one thing that's kind of funny. My kids know this. Even people that have known me know this. Like, let me show you Pastor Marty happy. <laughs> now, let me show you Pastor Marty angry. Happy, angry. I'm just, I don't know, it's the way I am. In, in fact, when I get angry, I don't yell, I don't throw stuff. A lot of times I get more quiet. But because, because for me, I just thought a long time ago, years and years and years, years, years ago, that I'm not going to yell. I don't see the point in it. So if I'm upset, this is what it looks like. Hey, I'm really upset. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm really angry. I'm really angry right now. You don't look angry. I don't need to look angry to be angry. I don't need to prove to you that I'm angry. That's why I'm telling you right now that I'm angry. <laughs> to yell and throw stuff is just a passive aggressive approach at notifying you that I'm upset. I don't have to slam a door. I could just say, Hey, I'm really upset. Could we talk? Right. I'm going to do a whole message on conflict and how to have successful conflict um, later, but you know, just you can write this down. We'll come back to it. How you start will determine how you finish. You can't start on opposing sides and end on the same side, right? Um, so, so go think about your emotions 
because your emotions are telling you something that's going on with you, but they're not necessarily telling you reality. In other words, your emotions are telling you about what's going on with you. It's not telling you about what's going on with them. It's telling you what's going on inside of you. It's not telling you what they did was wrong or right or whatever the case may be. And before I make my emotions their problem, I'm going to go sit down on my bed and think about it. Are you with me? Here's the third thing. Inventory your thoughts. So we've got our behaviors and our emotions and our thoughts. Inventory our thoughts. Your relationships are moving in the direction of your most frequent thoughts about them. Your relationships are moving in the direction of your thoughts and your thoughts about them. Let me say it another way. You can't have healthy relationships with sick thoughts. It's just impossible. You can't, you can't do it. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Look at this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Um, it is hard to have a healthy relationship when I think negative thoughts about the person that I'm in a relationship with all the time. They don't love me. They don't care. They didn't ask me how my day was. They don't ever clean up their socks. She never cooks for me. She doesn't honor me. She doesn't respect me. She just nags me. Well, how are you going to have a healthy relationship with those very unhealthy negative thoughts all the time? It's going to be impossible, isn't it? It just, it just won't, it won't work. Um, and so the reality is, if, if I'm going to have a healthy relationship, I have to have some healthy thoughts. So what, what Paul's telling us, he's like, we have to capture thoughts. Well, I can't capture them till I, till I think about them. I think there's a, um, uh, you know, when we're talking about emotions, I'll give you a counsel word, mindfulness. Mindfulness just means there's a difference between my brain and my mind. My brain is an organ. It does things naturally as it's required to do, needed to do, decides to do, involuntary things. Like I'm not sitting here thinking, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe No, it's just doing all that right now, right? Because my brain's an organ, but my mind is a state of, it's a state of thinking, it's, it's who I am, it comes out of something else. And so mindfulness, when I'm talking about emotion, that's where I can say, well, I'm angry, but I don't have to jump on the anger train and ride it through the wall. I could just stop and say, I wonder why I'm angry. Like, what just happened? Well, when we're talking about thoughts, they call it metacognition, which just means I'm going to think about what I'm thinking about. The best thing you could do right now if you're in a relationship is go home and write your three most prevalent thoughts about the person you're in a relationship with. You ever wonder why the people that are engaged are so happy? Because they haven't had all the life experience yet to create the negative thought patterns right? Because it's going to happen. I mean, they're going to get on your nerves, right? I mean, if you've been, all right, don't, husbands, you don't look right now. You just look ahead <laughs> and act confused as I'm, I'm going to say something, but you act confused. They're going to get on your nerves. You go, really? Oh my gosh, I've been married 50 years. She's never gotten on my nerves. <laughs> yes, sir. And there's a place that liars go. <laughs> Washington, D.C. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> They get paid for it <laughs> for the rest of their lives. Um, ooh, anyways, well, praise the Lord. But, but when you're first uh, dating, you're engaged, you haven't had a lot of negative experiences yet, right? They haven't hurt your feelings a lot yet. And as life goes on, they make mistakes, you make mistakes. And when we dwell on the negatives, it creates negative thought patterns, Right? The reason engaged couples are so happy because they're dwelling on the positives. So they have, na they have positive thought patterns. Right? Um, th this, to me, again, using my parents as an example because they've been married over 50 years and they're just as happy now as they've ever been in their lives. Uh, what I know is neither one of them are perfect. I was raised in their house. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know they're not perfect. 
But what I can tell you is if you were to ask them what's your three most prevalent thoughts, ask my mom about my dad or my dad about my mom. Here's what I can tell you. They're going to they're tell you, oh, he's just a wonderful man. He's such a God. And I mean, it's going to be these three positive things. If you've got a relationship in crisis and I say, what is your three most prevalent thoughts? Is they're selfish, they're controlling, they're manipulative. Right? What has happened? Well, there's been hurt. There's been misunderstanding. There's been things that have happened. Some of it could be related things that happened in the marriage. Some of it are in the relationship. Some of it could have been things we brought into the relationship because they're just like my ex. Never say that if you want to live. But the point of it is you have these, pre- these prevalent thought patterns. So the first thing we have to do in a relationship, look, I can't have a healthy relationship with sick thoughts. So the first thing I have to do is, and, and I had this one time, I said, can you tell me anything good about your spouse? No. I'm like, well, why in the world did you get married? And there was silence. I'm like, there has to be something good about them. You're just not thinking about it, right? Does he get up in the morning and go to work? Yes. Has he ever had an affair? No. Does he come home? Yes. Does he pay the bills? Yes. Does he mow the yard? Yes. Those are wonderful qualities. Those are consistent qualities. There's some character involved in that, right? Does she not suffocate you while you're sleeping? That's a great quality. Praise the Lord. If you wake up with a pillow over your head, we may need to talk. <laughs> but I need to inventory my thoughts and, the, and I need to capture my thoughts and then I need to change my thoughts. Let me show you this really quickly. First, Philippians 4.8, Luke says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, apply this to your spouse or significant other. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report or good reputation, if there's any virtue, if there's anything that's praiseworthy, I'm going to meditate on these things. Now apply that to your relationship. What if you left here and said, you know what, they've been driving me nuts, but I'm going to say, okay, first of all, is there anything true about them? Right? Is there anything true? Well, you know, they, I mean... They smell decent. You know, I don't know. <laughs> well, is there, is there anything noble about them? Is there anything that's just about them? Is it, are fair, right? Are consistent, are pure, are lovely. I, I'm just going to choose to think about those things. I'm going to meditate on those things. It doesn't mean I'm going to excuse bad behavior. It doesn't mean I'm going to let them be disrespectful or hurtful if that's the situation. I'm certainly not going to tolerate abuse if that's the situation. That's a different situation. But I'm just saying, if I'm just not happy and I just think they're the problem, maybe they're not the problem. Maybe the way you think about them is the problem. So I'm going to stop thinking about everything they do wrong. I'm going to start thinking about things they do right. And then I'm going to look. Here, here's what I would do. I would identify what are my three most prevalent relational, relationship thoughts. And this may apply to a relationship I'm in or relationships that I've had. But I'm going to think about what are my three most prevalent. So, for instance, here, here are things that I've heard as, as a pastor. Well, I'm just not good enough for relationships. Just not good enough. All right. Well, what does the Word of God say? And you are complete in Christ. Colossians 2.10. All right, so what do I need to do? Well, I need to depend more on what God says about me than how I feel about me. Right? Are are you with me? This is how you renew your mind, right? Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by renewing your mind. So what are my relation what are my thoughts that are hampering, hindering, hurting my relationships? Well, I've got a thought that I'm not sufficient or I'm never gonna be enough. And it was programmed by some trauma. Well, listen. If you think you're never going to be enough or you're not good enough, it's going to affect your relationship no matter what they think about you. So part of this could be thoughts I think about them. Part of this could be thoughts I think about me. 
But you need, to, you need to find out. So, so let me give you some thoughts that you could be thinking about you. Well, I'm not enough. Well, Colossians says I'm complete in him, Colossians 2.10. Well, they will reject me. Ephesians 1.6 says, well, I'm accepted in, in, in the beloved. In other words, I'm accepted by God. Okay, well, it says that they, you know, well, I just think they're going to hurt me. I'm never going to trust again. They're always going to hurt me. Well, the truth is you can't have intimacy without risk. You can't have intimacy without trust. And the truth is, they may hurt you, but Psalm 147.3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. If they hurt me, God will put me back together. But I can't have a relationship if I won't trust. Are you with me? And then, and then well, they're going to leave me like everyone else left me. Well, this is what Deuteronomy 31 says. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid. For the Lord your God, he is one who goes with you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. In other words, just like I reprogram how I think about them by looking at what is true and what is just and what is noble, I may have to reprogram how I think about me because it's hindering my relationship too. And I may have to look for those prevailing thoughts or those prevalent thoughts, whether it's how I think about them or whether it's how I think about me. Listen, here's the reality. The myth is I can expect to have a healthier relationship than I am healthy, and that's false. The truth is my relationships can't be healthier than I am. But here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful thing. You can get healthier. You can get healthier, whether it's finding triggers in your behavior or whether it's assessing or evaluating your emotions or whether it's looking at your thoughts and thought patterns and renewing your mind. You can get healthier. And when you get healthier, your relationships get healthier. That's the truth of it. Amen? Amen. Come on. Can you give Jesus praise today? Why don't you stand with me? And I'm going to ask our um, prayer team to come. We end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer about anything. And we want to pray with you. And if you need prayer today for a relationship or you need prayer individually, please don't feel ashamed. Don't hold back. We believe prayer changes things. We know it changes things. We know it's powerful. We know it's impactful. And, uh, and also, just know this, that when you come and you receive prayer, that, that's confidential. We don't publish reports on that or anything like that. Um, and so if you come up and say, hey, I need prayer for my relationship, we're not going to get on Facebook today and talk about, well, Bob came up for prayer today about his relationship. We would never do something like that. We just want to be available to minister to you and pray for you and believe God's best for you. I believe you can win at relationships, right? I believe you can have healthy relationships, but it starts with a healthy you. God, we just thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness, for your love. God, for, God, for all you've done for us. And God, you came, and, and you came, God, to, to heal us, to, to bind up our wounds, our traumas. You, you came so that we, we could, God, be healthy in our emotions. We could be whole. And you came, God, to renew our minds. God, today, we know those things impact our relationships. Help us, Lord, to receive from you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, today. Uh, would you take just a moment and ask God what he's saying to you as we just stand here in his presence? Would you just say, hey, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today? And God, I just pray you'd speak to everyone. Speak to everyone, God, today. Something that would be healing, be helpful. God, today, I just pray you'd bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, I pray you'd help us capture our thoughts and help us set aside our emotions and understand them and walk in freedom today. Lord, I pray everyone who needs prayer today, God, they would come and you would meet with them here. I pray every person would leave having heard from you. And Lord, I pray today if there's anyone in this room or watching online that needs a relationship with you, a relationship with you, 
meaning they need to know you. Not just know church, not just know about the Bible, but know you. I pray you would draw them today and they would come for prayer. Or they would text. If they're online, they could text my pathway prayer to 94,000 and we'll pray with them over the phone. But God, don't let anyone leave here without a relationship with you today if that's what they need. Because God, that's the relationship that impacts all other relationships. So Lord, we want to know you, want to live for you. And God, help us to be healthy so that we can have healthy relationships. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you give Jesus praise one more time? God is so good. Listen, uh, if you need prayer, you need a relationship with Jesus, we'd love for you to come or you can text my pathway prayer to 94,000. Everyone else who say a big God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next weekend. If you're a guest, I'll be around out in the front in just a little bit. I would love to meet you or anyone else. God bless you. We love you.